Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, we've been, as we looked at the evolution of the show, you know, we started a long time ago looking at uh, converged infrastructure and we were, you know, virtualization was taking off. Over that time, we we obviously covered kind of all of the infrastructure as a service and, and some of the platform as a service things that have been going on. Um, and then for anybody that's been following for the last year or so, lots and lots of talk about containers, platform as a service, some of the emerging technologies around things like Kubernetes and Mesos and Mesosphere and, and all those sort of things. And, you know, for a lot of people, Sometimes this this sounds like lots of different just technology and does one replace the other and what does it mean why, why you know why did somebody invent this new thing and so today we've got a really interesting guest and I'm going to go ahead and, and introduce him and then we'll kind of get into why we sort of grabbed him today so excited to have uh, Subu Alamaraju uh, on the show Subu's the chief engineer for cloud and platforms at eBay so Subu welcome to the show hey good morning thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been following you on, on Twitter for a while, uh, kind of the stuff that you've been working on and you had a blog post this, I don't know, a week or so ago, uh, it was called lessons from the cloud bunker. And it, it talked about kind of the differences between, you know, kind of today's infrastructure and, and where, you know, the large, large cloud providers are going. And obviously a lot of us follow, the, loud, the large cloud providers, because the things that you guys work on, um, the problems that you figure out how to solve eventually become, you know, palatable for, you know, sort of more mainstream people that, that want to either keep up or do similar things. So before we dive into that, tell us about your background, because you've got a, a very deep background from, from a lot of very well-known companies. So tell us not only about your background, but the kind of problems that you like to solve and work on. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, I uh, prior to eBay, I was at Yahoo uh, building some of the social platforms and web services. Prior to that, I was at uh, BEA Systems, uh, the WebLogic uh, fame, uh, building products for them. I think I joined eBay uh, late uh, early 2011 and uh, jumped into the infrastructure area in 2012. Uh, I think it's been a fantastic ride since then. Where we, I had a chance, opportunity to build uh, some of the largest uh, private cloud infrastructure for eBay. And, and prior to the split of eBay and PayPal, even PayPal, uh, I had a chance to influence the direction and the scale out for the Aeropost stack cloud. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. I know, um, you know, obviously uh, a lot of people follow what eBay is doing. Um, you know, you guys are, are very active. T- talk real quick before we jump into some of the, the experiences you wrote about. So you're based in Seattle. Uh, a lot of times people tend to think that uh, the really big things happening in technology, the, you know, whatever are happening in the Bay Area. Seattle's, you know, Seattle's obviously they had Microsoft for a long time, but there is a ton of cloud stuff going on in Seattle. What's the what's the DNA and what's the community up there in that space, and, and why is there so much of a concentration around sort of modern cloud stuff? I, I think this is a I mean uh, this is one of the uh, the geekiest comp- uh, a community around here. Uh, the talent is uh, extremely high, even when compared to the Bay Area uh, in some respects. Uh, uh, this area tends to attract much higher density and diversity of, of, of folks. Yeah. I think uh, I think uh, that's why you see you know 
Google Kubernetes uh, was done by engineers at Google in this area. Of course, AWS is there, Microsoft Azure. So I think it, Seattle has become the cloud capital, cloud mecca of the world. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, it was the cloud city before because of rain, and now it's sort of the cloud city uh, because of because of technology clouds. Absolutely. So. Um, so the, the premise of, of the, the blog that you wrote, and we've got it in the show notes for anybody, um, you know, basically is built around this idea. And I'm, I'm going to throw out some terms because I've been around the industry for a long time. And when I first started hearing terms like ephemeral and immutable, it, you know, they, I, they're very computer science sort of terms, but I'd never really heard them in the context of, of you know, products and some things. Give folks just a baseline of of what it means when you start hearing things like ephemeral versus immutable um, as you're talking about infrastructure. I think in the in the context of infrastructure, when I say ephemeral, it is it is something that dies. Uh, let me take an example of my personal MacBook Pro, and I know it is ephemeral. Uh, Any time it can its its disk can fail. Uh, its network can fail. I know that. And I, as a user, I tend to treat it like a pet. Uh, I take care of it. I take backups every day and, and, and make sure it's uh, so I can come back to that uh, state. This is well and good. And I think uh, the, in the context of large data centers, uh, we see uh, failures, infrastructure failures happen a lot. And so, uh, and. The premise uh, that that I want to get out is that you know you have to, when there's something ephemeral, something that fails, you have to treat it that way. You can't try to get hold on to it. It is it goes back to the herds versus cattle analogy. So a, a, a cattle is ephemeral. It's it can be killed. It can be it it can go away in, in a second. Uh, I think uh, in the context of uh, uh, the other word you used is. Uh, Sorry, what was it? Uh, immutable. Immu- immutable infrastructure. So, immutable infrastructure, on the other hand, is about uh, uh, is about having something that doesn't. You don't have to change its state. Uh, for example, oftentimes you bring up a software on a box, and you don't you don't try to up- update it. You discard it. I think I think personally, I look at more disposability as a more interesting and, and useful concept. They are immutable because if I can dispose of, I don't have to worry about changing state. That is, I don't have to worry about mutating it. I think we need to, as an industry, get to the point of disposability. I think once you get there, we can have much more resilient uh, software applications uh, uh, across the globe. Right. Now, I heard you you were speaking at uh, at the, the OpenStack uh, Seattle event um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you made a comment that you know forever people talk thought about infrastructure is you know it was hardware it was servers and storage and networking and 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 now we have people talking about sort of software defined data centers and software defined and you said you know people really need to start thinking about infrastructure not as as a as a set of infrastructure resource problems but but really treat it like you do software and it, it, that stuck out to me in it but at the same time it, I sort of went. Boy, that's a big jump because you know infrastructure people traditionally don't think about software in the in the application sense, if you will. Yeah, let me actually go back to the. That's a very important question. I think let me go back to the the blog post and I talk about the 
the provision, deploy, monitor, remediate, uh, closed loop. Uh, let's let's take a look at each step. Uh, provision by provision, I mean uh, creating infrastructure, whether it's bringing up virtual machines, setting up their networks, getting storage, and so on. And, and today, I can do those things through APIs. So when, when I say I want to provision infrastructure, it's, it's a matter of writing code to bring up that infrastructure in the state I want. The second part is deploying software. And as we know, uh, we have been talking about infrastructure uh, as code and, and automation. And, and you would deploy software using, again, software. I could use Puppet. I could use Chef. I could use something else. But that's, again, software. To deploy software, uh, uh, use software to deploy software applications on the infrastructure I provisioned. The next part is monitoring it. Again, monitoring is API-driven. I get insights uh, through a cloud provider's APIs or some other uh, stuff I do uh, from either from the operating system, from the application, or, or in fact, we have a large multi-tenant uh, metrics collection platform, and, and that's, again, software. And then remediation. Uh, remediation is the process of bringing this infrastructure back to the desired state when infrastructure fails, that is again using APIs, uh, writing code. So I think the, I think the the in the past, in, uh, industry has thought of these aspects as uh, IT, where where you file tickets, you you get machines, and then somebody goes and deploys software, and then and goes on and on. I think that works well if you have a small organization, maybe with ten fifteen applications, but we have. If when you have thousands of applications that need to change every day, hundreds of times, you have to treat this as a software engineering problem. And I think, in fact, m- most of my team is, is software engineers, except maybe half a dozen who are extremely good at operating at scale and, and who are systems engineers. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think the the two biggest things. So, um, you know, reading through your 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 paper, and you you know, you talk about this. PDMR provision deploy monitor and remediate cycle. I think the two biggest things that jump out at me, um, you know, one is is anytime people talk about automating things, um, they talk about automating things, config management, kind of you know some of the principles that get talked about with DevOps is there's always a, a set of people that that worry and they say, well, uh, you know, my, my job's going to go away or, or whatever I do. And I, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me is, <clears throat> you know, if you really think about what what that job is, um, you know, that, that job is essentially, um, you know, doing all the things to, to do that provisioning, to do that deploying. And really you're shifting that, that manual work into, you know, doing the work to, to turn that into software so that it becomes repeatable. Um, that, that doesn't eliminate that person who did it. It just says, instead of you clicking on things every single time, we need you to basically, you know, make it a consistent process so that, you know, if you're doing it at eight in the morning or you're doing it at eight o'clock at night or three in the morning, it's going to be consistent. Um, you know, I, I think that's, there's an education, the opportunity that's out there for, you know, for a lot of people that, um, you know, these, these modern things that, that the big companies like, like eBay and, and Yahoo and, and others talk about is, is, you know, you're trying to solve a problem that isn't eliminate people. You're trying to solve a problem that is um, essentially people don't want downtime. People don't want, you know, they don't want that. And that's really what, what those organizations are there for, um, you know, get the applications out there. And then the operations teams are there to make sure they, they run all the time. And the only way to make that happen is to be very consistent with things. 
Absolutely. I think it all goes back to the time to de- uh, detect and time to recover. And when you have, when you're operating at scale, uh, you can't reduce uh, time to detect and time to recover unless you have fully automated the complete uh, life cycle of your infrastructure. Right. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's the sort of classic troubleshooting problem. If, if anybody, if you've ever answered the phone, uh, you know, in a call center and you've had to, to troubleshoot something, I mean, the first thing you do is you go, well, tell me what your environment looks like. And that's one thing if you, you know, you work for an external entity that's troubleshooting somebody else's problem, like they're troubleshooting your MacBook. But if you work internal to that company, you should, you should all the time know exactly what the environment is supposed to look like. And then you're, you're baselining from that. Uh, actually, that's a that's a great analogy. I think it's all about it's all about knowing the desired state and are, are automating to take the infrastructure to that desired state. Yep, yep. Now, um, so you know, you talk about these concepts of sort of durable and declarative. Um, you know, one of the things that that's jumped out to me, and I've been spending some time sort of digging into things like Kubernetes and, and Mesos, and um, you know, is is they have this concept that says. Uh, I want the environment to look like this, whether it's called a pod or something like that. And then there's this, you know, how many instances of that are basically declaring, you know, describing and declaring like, this is how big I want it. This is how fast I want it to run. I want it to be monitored. And if something fails, it goes away. I mean, are those concepts that are now in that technology, is that the core of what you mean when you say things should be durable Uh, and declarative? uh, Absolutely. I think, I think, uh, uh, the the worldview has changed has been changing as we learn how to deal with infrastructure in the last decade the worldview uh, even even I, sorry i hear some uh, it's one of your my skype or your skype oh okay yeah i think maybe you may need uh, let me start again yeah the worldview has changed in the last uh, uh, several years from a very um, imperative style of putting together infrastructure uh, if you look at the classic AWS style where you have uh, EC2 APIs and you have you know CloudWatch and, and and then you have CloudFormation and using these things you can you can sort of put together uh, implement applications to put together this closed loop. I think that value has has been changing over time to say that you really have to think of let the user declare the desired state and and model the infrastructure from that desired state. So instead of asking how many VMs do you need, and hey, here are the five VMs and these are the IP addresses, instead you are saying how many cores, how many CP, how much memory do you need, how many copies of that infrastructure do you want to run? So let me run that for you. That is the mind shift that has happened, that's been happening in the in the, in the industry, and that's why I think uh, uh, platforms like Kubernetes and and Mesos are. are are getting more and more interesting uh, and and useful, uh, uh, though we have to still make it to scale it uh, at, for eBay scale. But but sure. uh, the point being that the abstractions are are getting out there. Yeah. So so I think I think my my, my dream is this: in a year or two from now, uh, I don't want the developers to say, "Hey, give me five VMs." Instead, I want them to say, "Hey, uh, run my app. Take my app. Make ten copies." Keep them running forever, right? Yeah. Well, and and I think you know it's funny if if you if you step back from it, <clears throat> you know there's there's lots of people who would say, hey, you know, I, I'm an enterprise architect or I've been an enterprise architect, for example. That was my job, and and part of that was, you know, 
yes, you were thinking through kind of how these these big applications would go together, but part of it was simply going, well, let's size that. Let's have a sense of how do we match your business requirements, which might be, I think I'm going to have a thousand requests a day or a thousand requests an hour to some sort of technical specification. So that, you know, whatever that means in terms of a business request means this much in terms of technology. And people used to spend, you know, days and weeks and months trying to plan that. And, but they had to do that because they were talking about, you know, different kinds of hardware for storage and different kinds of stuff for, for compute. Well, now, you know, the, the underlying platforms are very much the same. They're all basically variants of x86. And we can now basically model that business thing, that, that business mapping to technology mapping in software. And like you said, you can have a, an application owner just go, I want it to run like this. I want the experience to be like this. You figure out how to do that for me. Exactly. I think that, that is that is the, the shift uh, that is happening. And uh, you're right that it does change the work some folks have to do uh, in terms of you know, skills and thinking. But I think that's the future. Yeah. No, and, you know, I think, you know, when we start to think about how fast some of the technology is changing, um, how much people have expectations about, you know, using the Internet, using services on the Internet, um, and then how hard it is sometimes to, to hire people, um, you know, you, you put all those things together and you go, boy, we're, we're going to have to figure out how to how to make these systems be, um, you know, sort of they're going to heal themselves because the, the software is smart enough to make that happen. And, and we're also going to be able to hopefully bridge that gap between what a, a business owner wants and the way that they speak about it to, to what the technology has to deliver under the covers. Uh, yes, I think I think I go back to an analogy I heard, uh, I think, uh, from someone from HP a couple of years ago. It's all about shifting complexity around. Yep. I think the complexity is not going to disappear. It is there. Mm-hmm. It's how we are packaging it is changing uh, from uh, from imperative uh, procedural style uh, uh, models for infrastructure to declarative models of infrastructure. Yep. It's complexity is still there. Yep. It's just the way we model has been changing. Yep. So um, you know you you've you've been actively involved with with OpenStack for quite a while. You were part of some of the user committees. Um, you know eBay's not shy about saying that. You know, OpenStack is part of what you guys do, um, but you're also, you know, obviously now active in what's going on around containers. What, what's your take on, uh, you know, not sort of like does one win and one loses or you know whatever, but but how is this? How how is the transition going? Like, which of those types of tools fit for what you guys want to do? Which, you know, what what do you wish they were doing instead? I think I think uh, uh, speaking of containers specifically, I think. These, uh, this revolution that started two years ago has been changing the, the developer experience. Uh, it's, it's, helping us, it's helping our developers package applications in a way that is portable, it's consistent, and uh, can, be, can be repeated, uh, whether it's on dev or production. I think that part is, is, a, is, is, a, is a, for the best outcomes. I think the part that hasn't uh, uh, happened at scale yet is the aspect of using containers, putting together a declarative infrastructure. I think without that declarative infrastructure, uh, the uh, paradigms like Kubernetes or Mesos, containers themselves are not that interesting uh, because you still have to worry about how do I make sure 10 containers are running all the time. 
and so so you still need to worry about uh, the declarative model of of uh, of a running the application in desired state i think mm-hmm. to me that is the uh, more interesting uh, aspect in fact uh, we have made a conscious decision uh, early on saying hey containers are interesting and they're solving certain problems but they're not taking us all the way so let's not just go with containers let's think of it in the context of a cluster manager think of it in the context of uh, let's say kubernetes or mesos and then and then work end to end yeah so that the developer whatever ships the developer ships and the developer says this is the desired state for my application and we take that and be able to run that maintain the desired state in production yeah so i, I know sometimes people talk about and, and i don't know if this is the right way to think about it or not i mean sometimes people want to talk about you know do do containers replace virtual machines and I, I seem to be hearing more and more that people are kind of saying well maybe the way to think about it is is you're going to have some system that's going to sort of manage your underlying uh, infrastructure resources and that might be something like uh, an open stack right it's going to set up some vms to you know be resources or it's going to set up you know virtual storage and then the, the container piece of it really should be more focused on application packaging, uh, you know, durable and declarative sort of environments for Apple. I mean, do, do you see that happen? I mean, is is that where OpenStack kind of ends up, or what's the uh, way to think about that? I think I think uh, uh, two 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 parts to that question. One is that you know the containers versus virtual machines versus something else. I think uh, I don't think that is the right question to ask anymore because I think someone from Red Hat, I think it was last year, one of their security gurus says. Container is nothing but a fancy way of running a process. That's all. I mm-hmm. mean, you're you're spawn, spawning a process in a certain way using namespaces. That's pretty much it. I think so. I think what we figured out uh, early on is that that is not the interesting question. A lot of our developers don't care whether the underlying abstraction is a virtual machine or a bare metal. They don't care. All they say is that, hey, can I run this Docker with in this desired state? That's what they care about. Mm-hmm. I think the coming to OpenStack uh, specifically is that uh, what we have seen happen evolve over the years is that uh, it is it is it is an IS layer where I can get the building blocks to for to put together infrastructure whether it's the compute uh, storage network uh, primitives. I think for that part OpenStack has done has served as well. Of course, there is work to be done in terms of scale and availability and things like that, but. Sure. But I think OpenStack has done well in giving us the building blocks. I think containers uh, and cluster management end up being a layer on top. Eventually, my hunch is that uh, two, three years from now, as as uh, people get comfortable with declarative abstractions like Kubernetes and Mesos, the, they, st- they stop dealing with OpenStack directly. A provider would do, deal with interest, IAS like OpenStack, like I would deal with it, but my customers don't deal with OpenStack. Gotcha. I think that's... I think that's how I see evolution happening in the next, in the coming years. Gotcha. And and when you say provider, because you you mentioned that in your, you don't necessarily mean always a a public cloud provider like a like an Amazon. I mean that could be you acting as the sort of internal provider to your company as well, right? Uh, exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. Um, so one one last question, because um, you know, a lot of our about a lot of our listeners are, are always trying to figure out like, okay, the the stuff we you guys talk about is is very cool. The guests are working on cool stuff. Um, how did you guys start exploring this space? So you think back two or three years from now, like the stuff was new. You wanted to start playing with it. Like, what if if you had to 
if somebody came to you and said, I'm starting to, to use this, like what, what do you recommend to them to kind of get started uh, to play around with it and learn uh, it? I think, I think let me speak from my experience, our experience at eBay. Uh, eBay hasn't, uh, isn't really new for cloud infrastructure. We built, uh, uh, we, we realized early on that automation is key yep. for, for rolling out software. Uh, I think what we realized three, four years ago is that we need, we need some, some level of genericity uh, so that there are APIs to do things. And uh, that enabled us to uh, uh, automate a number of lot more things than we were doing before. Okay. Because, because we were solely focused on deploying certain kind of applications. With OpenStack, with, uh, with, uh, with IIS thinking, we were allowed, uh, able to let more workloads come to the cloud mm-hmm. because the APIs are there to for anyone to do put together their infrastructure. I think I think we approached from that angle. We approached from what building blocks do we need to give to our customers so that they can do their job. Okay. Instead of instead of I as a provider being the bottleneck for uh, through tickets or or permissions and and so on and so forth. Got it. Got I think it. self self service is the key a principle that I that we started with and that has helped us a lot. Okay. So, you know, if somebody was looking at this and, and it sounds to me like maybe the, the most basic thing somebody could figure out how to do is say, okay, um, if I wanted to offer a service to my, my end users and, and, and the end users could be anybody. I mean, it could be a, a, a peer in your IT organization, figure out how to say, how do I make that accessible via an API or how do I make that accessible in a programmatic way, start with anything, start with something small, start with anything, get comfortable with how do you write that API or expose that API. And then you can start thinking about each individual task or combinations of tasks as sort of services that, that you can offer as a, a pro- programmatic thing. Is that, yeah. is that a fair way of thinking about it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Start, start thinking in terms of APIs, give the APIs. In fact, our mission statement three years ago was, Give unfettered on-demand access to infrastructure. Okay, we started with that principle. Yeah, so you start something big like that, and then it sort of forces you to, uh, you know, to, to think about how you'd actually get to it. So mm-hmm. start with a big goal, and then and then take steps to get there. So yeah, well, very cool. Well, listen, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that because I think we've we've covered a lot of things. And again, folks, um, more of this will make some sense if you go back and, and sort of read through uh, read through the blog. Um, so we. I know you, you're out and active in a lot of places. Where could people run into you uh, at an event or something the rest of the year? Uh, I'll be at the next OpenStack Summit in Tokyo. Okay. Yep. Hopefully Great. some other conference later this year. Okay. Excellent. Cool. We'll, we'll have all of your contact information, your Twitter handle and everything in the show notes. So folks, if you, if you liked what you heard from, from Sabu and uh, you, know, you're, you want to ask questions, hit him up, uh, buy him a drink in Tokyo if you're over there. And uh, thank you very much for being on today. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Um, for Aaron, who is, uh, who's out today and but has been on a bunch of shows uh, from LinuxCon, uh, thank you for being on and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.